Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. There are only a few days left in the 2021 Cannes Film Festival, but there are still plenty of excellent films left to talk about. So my job here is not done, and joining me today is the critic Carlos Valladares. We'll talk about the unusual new film Cow from Andrea Arnold, perhaps best known for her films American Honey and Red Road, We'll also hear about the Spanish movie Libertad and a collective film called Futura, which is co-created by Pietro Marcello, Alice Rohrwacher, and Francesco Munzi. Finally, Carlos celebrates his favorite film of the festival, Drive My Car, which you'll be able to read all about in his dispatch for the Gagosian Quarterly. Be sure to subscribe to The Last Thing I Saw for a delightful episode with a longtime colleague of mine, Mark Ash who will talk about the new films from Wes Anderson and Sean Baker, The French Dispatch, and Red Rocket. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. This is another in the series of Cannes podcasts for the 2021 edition, which is, by many accounts, a very strong edition, and my colleague today will have evidence to further that idea. And I'm also glad that we'll be talking about some films that have received, uh, you know, not as much attention. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, the critic, Carlos Valladares. Hello. Great to be here, Nick. Yeah, it's been a little bit. I I, I think the last time we were on the podcast, we had uh, an epic uh, conversation. Oh my God. Covering more than I can even, I can even summarize. Yeah, it was, it was very far reaching and maybe it'll be similarly far reaching this time around, just like watching all these movies here at Cannes this year, which is like also my first time at pretty much like any major festival. I haven't really experienced like this level of just like watching movies like constantly per day and also just watching so many great, like true like masterpieces like per day. So it's like, it's really interesting. I'm so happy to be able to, to hear your fresh reactions. And I, I have to say you're, you've, you've picked a perfect one to start with because you know, we were just talking a little bit before recording that they have almost like two years of selections to choose from. So like the hit miss ratio is, is much better. I only wonder what it'll be like if you you know, go to another festival after this pretty singular experience. Is, has it also been all right with all the other weird like testing and stuff? You've probably hit your hit your stride by now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was I mean, there's the typical like there was one time where I, had, I, I was supposed to watch Velvet Underground the Todd Haynes documentary and they didn't let me in because I had an expired COVID test. So I had to go and get the, I had to spit in a tube and all that disgusting stuff. But like, you know, it's, it's, it's what it is. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a nice comfortable rhythm. It's like, it's the, the trick for me at least like just also being new to festival ish coverage, which I feel like it's just the basic thing. It's just that you, you're just expected to consume and consume and consume. And there's no like, time to actually digest any of these films because everyone is just like off to the next movie like one of the worst things i experienced was like people at the end of like drive my car with my favorite film of the festival so far just like checking their phones during a truly just beautiful like sequence one of the best in like recent cinema and saw like lights flashing or people checking their like tickets for the next one and it just so infuriated me it was just like Really, Bryce Hamaguchi spends three hours of his life, or you spend three hours of like you're supposed to spend his time like watching this and like trying to see where he's at, and it's just like after all this, you just you know you check your phone and don't even care about the the movie. You don't even care about the present at hand. So 
yeah no but other than that like it's it's been like just just great like digesting a lot of these movies from like directors like that are established but like do completely weird different things with their work like andrea arnold and also directors who i'd never heard of until this point like clara roque from spain so yeah yeah i i'm sorry even to hear about that with drive my car i, I mean you know having having seen it I, I can only imagine what it's like to get to the end and somehow people are are not in it at that point yeah but also yeah <laughs> I still like wept like a fucking baby like during that scene. It's just it's you. I mean, you will see. It's just it, it's just so weird. Like when you when you're in your space and like something is just so beautifully like subtly just moving and it just seems to encapsulate the entirety of like life and like all of its like traumas and absences and loves and whatnot. And then someone just can't be bothered with that. I don't know. It's really infuriating. Absolutely. Well, I definitely want to hear more uh, from you about Drive My Car. And, but, but you also had some movies that we haven't talked about that I'd love to hear about first. Um, but before we jump into that, I always want to make sure that listeners know where they can read what you'll be writing uh, about the festival. So if you just want to say a bit about that. Yeah, well, um, so I'm here covering the festival for Gagosian Quarterly, um, which is a quarterly magazine of the gallery Gagosian um and i have a film column in there um that appears every like three months i've written for them in the past about like pasolini and jacques demy and uh, kevin jerome everson and um and bill gunn and so on and i'm going to be writing about this festival for the winter edition um, which is going to come out in like november of 2021 and so as a result of that really i'm like um i'm at a slower pace i think than like most of the like the daily French and Brazilian and like Dutch and English and American press who are like here, like, you know, they, they have to get something out like within the next day or week or even like the same hour, <laughs> you know, Peter Bradshaw's hot takes and all that. But I, I much prefer this like method of just like, you know, I watch all the movies and like I'll tweet a little bit about one or two of them, but like otherwise I would much rather like dwell within them and have like this time to just for the next couple months to just like hone in the films that I saw and like trying to see the relationships between the best ones of them. Cause there are, there are striking like resemblances and themes and like returning themes over and over again for the films that I've been seeing. And they're pretty bleak they're pretty bleak themes. So yeah, but they give me some kind of weird faith and I don't know what, definitely not humanity as like a whole, but like, it's interesting. I have to say you are preaching to the to the choir with the uh, slow brew criticism. <laughs> I'm absolutely in support of that. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, you actually want to be able to think about it for <laughs> more than a day. But yeah, something to look forward to uh, in the fall, your dispatch. So, well, let's get into the movies. What would you like to to start with? I think probably just starting with, I'd start with the movie that doesn't have actors as we would conventionally talk about them which is Cal by Andrea Arnold, which I think is just one of the like just most anguished films <laughs> I've ever seen. Basically, it's 90 minutes of a cow's life and horrific life and then death. And that's about it. Like there were many walkouts that I remember just people within the first 10 minutes, they got what it was or they thought they got what it was about. And they were just like, okay, well, I'm not going to bother with this. Like it's I heard people saying like it's boring and all this bullshit like as they're leaving and I'm just like 
I don't know. I just got immediately onto its wavelength in terms of like what it was trying to communicate about just like the inherent selfishness of humanity. You know, I was thinking about two major film or like works, I guess you could say, like Brasson's Oh Hazard Balthazar, of course, with where the the lead character, the titular character is a donkey um, who endures this kind of life of suffering and just kind of suffering in this kind of vaguely spiritual, vaguely religious element that doesn't really lead anywhere in the end. And then um, also the work of the the great Brazilian author Clarice Lispector, who writes very often in her stories about you know the lives of animals and especially especially chickens. Um, and she has two great short stories, like one of which is explicitly set from the point of view of a chicken called a hen, and the other one, a tale of so much love, which is about this girl who learns about what it is to become grown up, to become a person who loves and is loved through like her relationship with chickens. And like these two works, these two authors are like powering into my mind as I was like watching cow because it's, it's very, it's very much unlike anything obviously that like Andrea Arnold has done, even though there's like certain resemblances to things that like, for instance, like her, her love of pop music and her like taste for good pop is like apparent here, but it's, it's apparent in an even more alienating way than one has seen in like, for instance, like American Honey, because like the pop that gets onto the soundtrack of Cow is very, it's just, it's just so incongruous to the context in which like she, she really keeps close to the cow at like eye level. And like, you just hear in the background as if it was like playing on like loudspeakers inside the farm where the cow lives, like, you know, pop songs from like the, like Billie Eilish is like, blasting at one point as like the cows are being like forced into this like room of udders and they're just like the the farmers are just doing their job and like you know like pumping the milk from them and it's just it's just a wacky bizarre unsettling like congruence of like human life and cow life and also just thinking about how whenever we write about animals or whenever people like choose to talk about animals within art it will always inevitably be channeled through like a human point of view there's no kind of like a lot of people will be like oh it's like just she's trying to get into like the point of view of the cow but that's not really it like it's but it's not something as pat as like trying to communicate like how humanity for like the majority of people is like the the like of a cow it's not that like it's not that that preachy or that simple it's like this kind of in between that i feel like cinematically she picks up on really well about like what what just like it is to exist and um, just like fears around every corner, you can get killed at any point. Like there's one point where like the farmer is leading the cow towards like a very dark corner and like Andrea Arnold's camera like shifts to that corner and you think, um, is this the moment where she gets slaughtered? Like it's just, it's, it's, it's like you just think death, you think darkness, you, you think, you know, like there's, there's loud sounds happening in the background. And it's just, there's moments like this that just pop up constantly throughout the film. Yeah, I don't know. It was just a, just a magnificent treatise on just existence. And the, the other thing too, is that the cow in the first reel of the film births a calf and she starts to like, you know, of course, form this attachment to the cow I mean, as, as one would. Like there's so many beautiful poetic shots of the cow licking her tongue, like across the newly born 
calf to like get rid of you know all the 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 milk and the placenta around it and there's just a kind of nurture it and then the calf is just violently taken from it and then put into um a cage of its own and throughout the film it's like she can andrea arnold constructs it so that like separation is like the cow is always mooing and you always get the sense that like what is she mooing for is she mooing for the calf is she mooing for her existence is she mooing just to get just to communicate with other cows around her and like what, what, how that must be the, how must they be communicating with each other? And a lot of the films that I've seen so far in this festival, especially like drive my car are just exactly about this. Just like the mystery of human communication, just the fact that we can never have our words say what we want them to say. And I just thought it was just beautiful, just how it was brought through in this kind of poetic non-tracked way in her, her intense, like really barbarian, like in the style of like Manny Farber, like burrowing deep into like underground films. Like she really burrows deep into just this one corner of life, which is like, what is cowness? Like, what is the life of a cow? And then from there, just like, it just spins off into so many directions. Wow. That sounds extremely uh, intense in the best way. And immediately I had all these questions. Uh, I mean, for one thing, I'm curious how uh, Andrea Arnold films all of this. I mean, it sounds like it must have been I mean, for one thing, probably a small crew. And given that she's known a lot for her use of handheld camera work, I'm, I'm curious if that's what she, she uses here. And and also how that's very much in a cliche way identified as gritty. Uh, but, you know, what does gritty mean uh, in a context such as this, where, uh, you know, almost by definition, anything about the cow's life uh, is very uh part of the expression close to the bone uh just in terms of what the stakes mm. are you know as you as you said mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question like because it's you're right like it's it becomes a mannerism as you watch films nowadays and like everything is just like in this weird shaky camera like you know this means we're authentic we're reality we're like close to cassavetes or whatever the fuck but like in in this case like i didn't really d- her filmmaking is so unobtrusive here. There's no like flashy shots or like, it just, it feels natural that like she's just moving around because she has to track the natural movements of this cow. She remains extremely up close to it at many points and then like keeps its distance. And it becomes very disturbing for us because she's in the same, her and her camera crew, I don't know how many people there were like, just like physically in the space. It felt like, you know, three or four people at a time, maybe like with sound and whatnot. But her camera crew inhabited the same space as like the farmers and the cow people who were like herding the cows and so by extension we feel like we're part of this kind of like jostling around of the cow like first like you know how people some of the farmers some of the british farmers go like ah, oh, there's a good girl and like you know trying to like calm her down and then all of a sudden like she's being dragged like the, the calf is being dragged out um to be- to get branded in its skull and that really like uh, like sent people like away just like in droves just like that that scene and this in the sound of it just like the searing sound of it and the image of it and she keeps very close to that and it's like we're completely implicated in all of that like we're we're, we're witnessing the life of the sentient being and just kind of feeling this kind of helplessness and it's not like she's trying to say like she's not trying to like do the kind of i don't know fast food nation thing where it's like like you know wake yourself up don't eat meat and all this like it's i mean of course a lot of people will probably come out of it with that but like it really felt to me the reason i'm bringing up Bresson and the specter is like their movie is not really about like look how poor 
the life of the donkey is look how poor the life of the chickens is it just simply they just simply say like this is just fucking reality just like you know you're part of this you you cause this pain daily as just literally being human you just have to figure out your place within it and just deal with it on a daily basis and that's that's kind of the the takeaway you get from cow it's not a movie that gives you like feel goody feelings like a lot of the other films in the festival like um worst uh, person in the world which i liked up until it's just like unforgivably sentimental ending they're just like oh god what a cop out um whereas like cow is just really where it's at in terms of like this is just existence not just for not just for animals but just like any living being who like is doomed to just like be in the world to love and then to have that love taken and then just the absences and the kind of memories that you know one has of for instance one's child one's calf that is suddenly taken away yeah i think that's a really beautiful way to describe it just to you know draw a parallel with those experiences to recognize them as what they are which is a you know universal experiences in terms of any you know living sentient being um and i i guess that that sounds like part of why she must start the film with uh, a birth, you know, which ordinarily would be the start of some chapter, but you know, here it's not. <laughs> right. There's never been a birth that's been more grimly filmed than in this film, honestly. It's just it there's from the beginning it's just like the the scene is just like set in this like really weird backgrounded like milky black mercury. It's it's just like the cow coming out and then just they have this one moment together and it's going to be the the first and the last moment that they have together and then like a quick cut like maybe a couple of months or something like until the cow is really grown and then the cap is being separated from the cow and then from from then on it's just kind of just a series of miseries and woes like punctuated by like moments of just actual like sheer beauty like there's just one poetic shot where the cow is just walking across a field of um a very muddy water and it's just so quiet and so like serene it's so mysterious it's so poetic it, it just comes out of nowhere like you you expect it to be just like continuing this tone throughout the entirety of the film and then it just like shifts just like that and it's like whoa like it's not like life is not just all suffering like and the majority of it is but like there's there's these small more subtler in between moments mm. I have just one smaller question and then we can go to, to, another, to another movie. I'm so glad we talked, you talked about this movie. Um, but obviously, you know, uh, my simple brain thinks of Gunda, the uh, kind of other, you know, livestock, uh, cow. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how to compare it with that because I've not seen Gunda yet. Well, that's great, actually. Yeah, I can't wait to, to read what you write about cow, uh, in, in, you know, in that case, because I'm sure everyone else is going to write about it is going to talk about Gunda. Mm -hmm. But so that is Cow from Andrea Arnold, a documentary. What were some other films that have really struck you at the festival? I think you mentioned Futura as one of them. Yes, uh, Futura, a collectively made film from Francesco Munzi and um, Pietro Marcello, who did Martin Eden, and then Alice Rohrwacher, who did uh, Happy as Lazaro. And it's, uh, it's a documentary about youth in Italy like in 2020, 2021, um, they started filming it like in early 2020 um, and then COVID struck and then they had to integrate COVID into the, you know, the, the mechanics of the film. But like, of course it didn't, like COVID doesn't need to, didn't need to exist or happen to know like this, 
the kinds of things that the kids of like Italy today are just going through. It's just kind of this permanent uh, psychotic state in which, you know, they've been sold up shit Creek and it's a wonderful film for many reasons. One of them being it's, it's a kind of return of a filmmaking style and a, and an ideology and a procedure that a lot of people nowadays have kind of given up in this kind of age of like auteurism and like, you know, like I'm the author of this work and let's see like how many signatures I can get from how, how I can detect that this is like a Leos Carrex film or like a, or a Wes Anderson film or what have you. What I love about cow is that it has no obvious like indications of like an author like or Arnold is just literally just about its subject. And then, the same thing with Futura. Uh, Marcello said in an interview after the after the film, a Q&A after the film, he basically said, like, you know, we made this collectively. We didn't want to center ourselves. We didn't want to center experiences that we were intimately familiar with as people of our age. What we really wanted to do is find a way of giving youth a voice because the youth in Italy don't have a voice. It's the old people who have the voice um, and who like get to call the shots and like what like what the youth must think. So their their filmmaking style is collective in this in that sense and collective in the sense of like you know sixties new left groups like Tigavertov group, um, the group that Godard and Garan um, formed in like the late sixties. Just and also like a mix of that and Pasolini's love meetings which is one of Pasolini's most underwatched, underrated, but like brilliant masterpieces from 1964, which it's just basically Pasolini going around the English or the the Italian country, just like asking people of all different ages, like, what is love to you? What is sex to you? Like, what do you make of homosexuality? What do you make of just different kinds of thoughts about marriage and children and settling and all that? And it's very much in that style of filmmaking where like they go around to the Italian people. But in this case, it's all it's all purely people from like ages 15 and 20. And the and the things that they say are just like it's not anything particularly new. Like we've heard about these things before, but like compiled in such an elegant way as it's compiled here. It really just leaves you just very angry. And the, the feeling that didn't come out of it was like. You know, it's it's a desperate. It shows it's a film about desperation, but you don't come out of it desperate. You just feel just completely just infuriated and in, about the state of the world, like from the perspective of like you know kids and like you know the the shit deal that they've been they've had to contend with for the past five or ten years, which has only been exacerbated by the events of the past year, just like the resurgence of fascism, COVID, racial capitalism, and all this. It's fascinating, you know, as you mentioned that this is a movie that was started before COVID and then for it to be continued after. I mean, it's in a way it's like here was a portrait from, you know, from the perspective of younger people. And then it's like it got even worse you know, as if it could have, uh, you know, here is this cataclysmic event, which I guess, of course, affected all generations, but uh, certainly, you know, puts the future casts it in a pretty jaundiced light. And I also like that you compare it with, you know, other models of collective filmmaking. We don't really usually see that with such a high profile as as these filmmakers going on uh, right now. Um, I'm, of course, you know, a huge fan of, of those those filmmakers uh, as, as well. But it really sounds like they kind of effaced themselves to a certain extent uh, in terms of the style or, or, or the approach. 
Yeah, they're, I mean, they're very present, like, as a group on the narration, which is another way that it gets linked to Pasolini's love meetings, because Pasolini's the one who narrates that, and then, like, Warwalker, Munzi, and Marcello take turns, like, you know, they shot particular groups of people, and then they, they each in turn explain, so that it's not really the product of, like, one sensibility, although it is coming very explicitly from, like, a, a new leftist Marxist position I, I found it very explicit about that there's there's very clear it's not trying to do this kind of apolitical we are all one kind of like look at humanity it's like coming at it from this perspective of just like how how deprived of chances and money this new generation has been but it's all but it's also done in this way that is a testimonial film because it's like the teens and like people in their late teens just talking in a very free way that is both like it's just obviously political but also just like a very naturalistic just kind of confessional mode you know one one girl says i don't care about love i don't care if i become a single woman i want to have a career and be successful and be famous in my field and win important awards when uh, the question of love comes up and uh, another person says like you know it's up to me to rebuild my tomorrow because i haven't been left to tomorrow Another kid says, like, our planet will blow up, like all the other planets, and just says it in this such a matter-of-fact tone, just, like, in the same way that just Cow cuts through all the bullshit of just, like, humanity's egoness, and especially Americans, just, like, love of the self, you know, and just, it just cuts through all of that, just, like, saying, yeah, no, we, we won't exist in this kind of, in a couple of years. But, like, that's, it's not a, because it's coming from this Marxist position, it's not a call to resignation, it's actually, it's, like, this call to action and a call to inspiration and a call to actually reach out to one's fellow human being um in that regard it's also very critical obviously like social media like a lot of time is taken up amongst the kids i hate that i'm calling them kids but like youth one person says social media was the final blow for personal relations um and then someone says i think we should just all collectively delete instagram from our phones people don't give a damn about their neighbor anymore they don't think about anything of their own self they just want their own piece of land and it's like you know they they could easily do i guess the thing that i guess pasolini did with la rabia from 1963 which is just do like you know a very freewheeling poetic smart film essay that like you know Rohrwalker and marcello and munzi both collectively write in which they like diagnose the current condition but i just love that they're giving it the they're giving the mic as people in middle age and approaching middle age to the next generation they're saying like we don't want to be this kind of large presence in this we're just here to put our names our collective names on it and you recognize our names but really the reason we're here is that you're supposed to listen to the next generation the people that are actually going to inherit all the bullshit that you gave them and have to deal with it that makes it this kind of generous filmmaking that is again very anti-auteurist but it's also very anti-mercantilist as uh, Marcello also said at the in the Q&A after the film premiered which makes it a perfect addition to to the Cannes Film Festival and you know which is you know I love but is also heavily dominated by auteur centric uh, sensibility so also remarkable because you know these these aren't you know old filmmakers you know I mean I would still say they are you know, at most getting into mid-career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's also just thinking now how uh, their recent works were 
Happy as Lazaro, this kind of epical uh, time scale and time frame is, I mean, it could be read as like a, being about the um, shift in generations and kind of persistence of class consciousness in a way. I mean, isn't Lazaro mm. the kind of emblem of, of mm. that? Um, yeah. and, you know, I don't want to like reduce the movie to a single analysis, but that just came to mind while you're talking. And then Martin Eden, you know, obviously has critiques from all directions um, about uh, Marxism and, and really uh, several schools of thought and, and class um, outlooks. So, yeah, so that was Futura, a, a collective work. Oh, the other thing too was that Cow showed out of competition. Um, it was just a can premiere, which I assume is because Andrea Arnold is the is the head of the jury this year for Uncertain Regard. I mean, it could I could have just easily played in the festival and I would have or in the main competition. Both of those films just stick with you in so many ways. And there's so many just great lines in Futura just to watch out for that movie when it comes out. It's a state of Italy, but it's also the state of the globe, like where the fuck we are right now and like how the fuck do we continue? How do we go on? Yeah. Yeah. Um glad we glad to uh, give attention to it um here. So, what is next on the agenda? Well, I guess uh, Libertad uh, oh, yes. Yes. would be next by Clara Roque, who, who couldn't make it to the festival, unfortunately, because I think she was, like, quarantined or something. Like she, but I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that sucks. I know. But, yeah, no, Libertad, it's... Um, I wrote when I was, like, watching it, is storytelling too damn clear nowadays? And then I wrote, not necessarily a flaw of this film. I was thinking about just, like the language of classicism and like i was thinking as i was watching it remembering just like scenes from like jean renoir films or leo mccary films and just like how each scene is constructed to give you like one idea or one sentiment but it's not like a kind of mindless like i'm going to hammer this home into your head like seven or eight different times as like some recent films like that i feel like are just very aggressively pile on the kind of obviousness in that way. Black Klansman was one film like that for me. But in terms of Libertad, I just loved the way that she writes the story. Basically, it's like the story between, like it takes place over a summer in Spain um, between this white-skinned, very light-skinned girl of like a a rich family um, who goes and spends like the summer in Spain and she's joined by her maid's like daughter uh, who comes from Colombia and they just spend like the summer together, just having like, you know, incidents like they're, they're both in their like 15, 16. It's I guess a coming of age story, but like, it just kind of sells that short. It's a really good film about, it gets a lot of great different sensations. Like it's great about getting like a dance floor vibe and like, you know, modern day amongst like kids. It's great at party vibes of now. Just the kind of like thunderingly loud music that you hear when you're like muffled in the bathroom and there's like people outside waiting to get in. Like they don't want to let you, you don't want to let them in because you're suffering kind of like nervous attack, um, which is a, a scene that happens in this movie. And it's also like a film that's very explicitly about class. And it's about like what happens when the the working class becomes the the voice of reason or like the kind of the the light bulb for people who have been doomed to this kind of like life of privileged and princessship and all this which is what in in one way you could interpret the main character who we follow i suppose um the the light-skinned daughter i mean it's about the fraughtness of that but it does it in this very 
unforced, subtle way. It's just all a series of clear incidents, very logically plotted. And it really honestly reminded me of like, you know, what classical Hollywood could do at its best. Even though the language is nothing like classical Hollywood. It's kind of like in structure it is, but in look, it could have the feeling of just like a slow, doddering Latin American film. Um, firmly not Lucrecia Martel or like something like in that vein, because that's much more of a, a sensorial experience and really play, is playing around and breaking form. Martel is, whereas like, and I feel like that would be like an instant kind of obvious point of comparison. The other even duller point of comparison would be like, call me by your name or something like that, because there's a kind of burgeoning crush, friendship, amorous thing going on between the two girls at the center of the film. And it's just like, you know, beyond the fact that it takes place like on this beach side, kind of like away from the hoi polloi of like the working class Spain it would be cheap to kind of just like just just to think of it in those terms. So that's why I'm like trying to bring up, I guess, like McCary and Renoir and all these people who are like thinking about presenting a very like a story that's been told again and again. But there's something very like honestly refreshing about its classicism and its attention to class and the kind of subtler, finer details of it than you would usually get in high prestige festival films. The, the other thing, too, about the movie that I really loved was that it's all about family relations and the kind of the, the mystery of family relations. And that's another thing, too, like that I've been kind of just like searching for in these movies that I've been watching here. Like even in this in a film that seems clear as clear as Libertad in its language and its approach, there is still mystery around like, you know, how do you relate to someone in terms of family love and familial love? And there's so many break subtle breakups that happen over the course of the film that have to do with like you know a daughter breaking up with her mother or like sisters breaking up with one another or like surrogate fathers being found in a way and you know marina which is another film that i really liked but like it didn't really leave too much of a strong impression on me is another similar film about this just like how but like it just focuses in on like you know a daughter who you know kind of hates her mother and father and like takes up the father's best friend as like her surrogate father. And it's just like one relationship like that. Whereas like in Libertad, it's just this kind of Renoirian, like Macarian ensemble of people. Like there's like the divorced father, there's like the the kids in town, um, the, this rich grandmother who like, the, the rich grandmother from the light-skinned daughter's side of the family who detests everyone from like, you know, her family and is kind of daughtering and like is an advanced stages of like what seems to be like alzheimer's but like she really takes to um the dark-skinned daughter who's named libertad from colombia and like on and on and on just like you know a constant reshifting of these relations over the course of a summer and that just felt very true from like my just personal experience and also just like how it actually is you know just like how you come up with like the the nature of a relation between you and a family member like doesn't even change like until you least expect it like and all of a sudden you wake up one day and it's like oh i don't care for you anymore i'd never want to speak to you again or like i suddenly love you and i see everything about you and all this stuff um and it just it just gets that emotionally right and so for that like coupled with the very rigorous classicism of the film i really admired that really makes me even more uh, interested in it. So, yeah, so that's Libertad from Claro Roque. 
And since you mentioned uh, Marina, um, I might just uh, talk for a couple of seconds about that. Uh, Marina is centered on a, uh, a teenager, a young woman who is has a very set role in her family, uh, set by her father, mm-hmm. um, and they're a basically a, a I guess a, a fishing family, and you know, kind of broad outlines. They live on the Adriatic Sea, um, and this is filmed by a Croatian director, Antoneta Alamat Kusijanovic, and she also uh, co-wrote the screenplay. And yeah, it really is a very well acted uh, family drama, all shot, you know, under <laughs> the, the beautiful sunlight of Adriatic coast. But that only kind of puts her feeling of being trapped under under a glare in, in a way. Um, as the movie starts, she's kind of basically she's treated as an employee, uh, almost more, more than a daughter, which is right, um, right. You know, her father just kind of barks orders at everyone, I guess. Um, and her mother has seems like she's made some sort of personal bargain about all of this, kind of not rock the boat, so to speak. And what happens in the course of the movie is that they have a visitor who is a, I don't know, some sort of multimillionaire who's like on the cover of, of magazines that has a longstanding friendship uh, with the father, I don't know, dating back to like wild days on a boat, uh, I guess when the father, I think, was the guy's captain. Yeah, but also it was completely coincidental that, that they met so early and that his friend went on to become a multimillionaire that the father is like lusting after like secretly. He's, uh, he says to Yulia, his daughter, treat him as if he were God on earth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's absolutely right. They kind of, their paths diverged, um, although their friendship continued. Um, but obviously the father thinks of nothing but <laughs> the fact that he is where he is. And so it's, he has kind of this, I don't know if it's a pipe dream or what, of getting his friend interested in investing in some land, maybe even building a resort. I don't know. It seems a little far-fetched given the, the rocky outcrops that we they're, they're taking trips to to, to investigate. Um, and I don't know if this is a particular quality of maritime dramas, but there always seems to be this kind of a lingering unease in the air, uh, you know, whenever they take a boat somewhere or someone goes swimming or they're just on an island. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. And that, that's definitely mined here. And but not in a kind of a throwaway suspense way, really. It just really was. This is what the family does, and this is where Yulia is at. And you know, it just kind of builds and builds that she gets fed up. And I just mm-hmm. thought the movie, I think, just sets out what the goal and the buildup will be. Um, and I would say I don't want to give it away because I think that there's a kind of uh, set piece, kind of sequence that I found really gripping and terrifying, completely terrifying. Yes. You, you think like, okay, I, I can see now how you're going to end this movie. Exactly. Um, and, it, and it just sort of encapsulates her own struggle and the tragedy of it. It's, so, it's such a painful sequence because it captures what's strong about her and her boldness and what would kind of get her out of her situation, which is what she wants to do. Sounds very vague, but it's, it's a wonderful sequence, wonderfully paced. It gave me, on, like, I was thinking a lot of immediately like La Ventura like the rocky beach and the the mm. existential like a separation from everywhere mixed with like a blatant like freudian psychodrama that comes out of Otto Preminger's Bonjour Tristesse um where you have like the competing relations between mother daughter like uh father and like you know also the the weird tensions amongst like the the best friend and the mother who the best friend was in love with the mother like when they were young and wanted to marry her, but she said no. And 
which is a kind of like we, like weird trade off between that and like you know the the relationship between like Deborah Kerr and David Niven in that film. It's very much a film about killing the father. It's just like and not in a kind of not in a spoilery way, but like a lot of the films like in the festival I felt like have this kind of like whether subtle like as in Drive My Car or Libertad or something that's like really just like you know that's the core of the film like Marina um or in a more kookier way Annette um it's all about like kind of like the necessity of killing the father and that you need to move you need to do that at some point in your life in order to even live with yourself to like move on you know um and even then you won't escape the kind of like influence of that which was like the lesson I guess of very explicit with like Marina but like I just I just loved Libertad because it was this weird mix of it being so clear and yet so not clear like it was so like evasive about like it's it's such ringing clarity it's like um about how it sees what it's like to grow up and what how, how it's how what adolescence and girlhood and in spain in this particular part of town with these particular groups of people from these classes like how that how that manifests itself i liked both but like libertad is the one that's lingering with me more in that kind of vein along with you know cow and um futura and uh, drive my car which is probably my favorite of the festivals. Well, let's, uh, yeah, we can, we can make that kind of a grand finale. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, Drive My Car. It sounds like you really, really connected with that one. I, I mean, I really, I truly wept in the last 20 minutes of it, as I, I think I said before. I mean, he's been, Hamaguchi has been linked to like so many names and directors. And I, I've always felt like it's like kind of this weird necessary thing that you have to do in criticism, but I kind of, lo- I really low-key hate it. Because it's like, you know, you have to position them in relation to other people or like, you know, like what I just did with Marina. It's like Antonioni mixed with like Bonjour Tristez with some Freudian bullshit. But like when I was watching Drive My Car, I literally could not detect like a single influence. Like he's been he's been linked. Hamaguchi has been linked to like Rivet, Romer, uh, Naruza, Casavetes and all these people. Um, Kurosawa. But like his his teacher um, at the school where he was um, where he got his uh, degree in like the late 90s, early 2000s. But with Drive My Car, it was, there's no, like, it's so seamlessly integrated. It's really just a film where, like, what happens when, like, art, i.e. through the guise of, like, Uncle Vanya, the staging of a multilingual un- Uncle Vanya, where no one can understand the other person's language because everyone's speaking in their same root language, how that seeps into the lives of the people who are making it. And it's, and it's just done in this slow burn patient non-hurried way like um there's there's a 40 minute prologue and it just it just, you don't even notice that it's a prologue it's just that you just keep going you just keep going and then you, like the credits start and it's like ah oh my god so now we start the movie proper and i don't know it's just i mean this is a movie that like i'm gonna be thinking about like it's truly going to like i can already tell it's gonna just haunt me for the rest of my days it's it has everything in it it just it seems to have everything in it it seems to have everything one would want to say and it's told in a such a non-conventional form like the 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 rhythms are not like you know your standard fucking shot reverse shot kind of like one person talks and the other person talks and like it's just he's like hamaguchi is so clued in to how people talk and more importantly what they do not say which is just as important as what you do say like the unconscious again um but it's it's such a it's such a vast work like 
I the, the only name that I could think of when I was like coming out of it was just like truly like the heft of Gertrude by Dreyer. It was like it's to, to me it's to that level of intensity about what it says about speaking, what it says about relations, both family and romantic, what it says about like staginess and artificiality and the life of the theater. I feel like that would be a that would be an intrepid double feature to do those two together because they're just. I mean, when I was reading the Murakami story, rereading the Murakami story, like a a couple of uh, days before the premiere, like I was already thinking of Gertrude, like in that regard. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh, you like expanded upon the like how how like this metaphor can get to this point. So yeah, it's just truly. A, I'll say no more. It, it's also a movie that really defeats words i know you're not supposed to say that with criticism but like for now at least like i'll find the words when i publish uh the piece in gagoshin quarterly um november 2021 um for sure but like for right now it's just one of those movies that i just have to have it linger with me i just have to have i just have to soak in its textures i have to remember it i need to rewatch it as soon as possible i need to rewatch it with friends i need to have late night discussions about this fucking movie with people it really just affected me and truly like a it snuck up on me. It really did. Yeah. These are just the most we can make of a movie right now at this point, but it's something that you have to, to sit with and, and drive my car. I, I mean, that's almost in the movie itself, you know, having to sit with things. Yeah. I love this for me also honest sense that, you know, I don't have the words for it yet. <laughs> Even though the movie is like wall to wall about formulating and how do we, uh, how do we bring this into the world? How do we connect with what's on the page with what's in the world and vice versa? How do we survive? Which is the which is the point of Futura too, which is like how do we survive when everything seems to be just completely in the shit? And like it's it's a movie that like reshifts the question of living to be it's not really about living, it's about surviving the dead and to honor the dead. And what does that mean to honor the dead? And it's it's mm-hmm. Drive My Car is a film that's very brutal about that fact. Like there's maybe something a little more you know, profound and hopeful and romantic in the Marxist sense in Futura. I mean, I love both equally in, in for different reasons. But like with Drive My Car, that that question becomes, again, mysterious. It's completely troubled. It's like we have to survive. But like, what is the point of that? Like, do, do we, how how do we go on one more day? The, the logical, like kind of nihilistic endpoint, perhaps, is Cal for that. But like, mm. I'm more into I, I feel something more comfortable not comfortable um inspiring in the hamaguchi film so that is yes drive my car the hamaguchi film i'm very glad that we uh, made time for it to to talk about it and i think we can uh, bring things in for a landing there um and of course there's still more to come uh wrap up by carlos just thanking you for for taking the time um and i hope hope you have like a great rest of the festival are you there to the uh hopefully not bitter end (laughs) i'm i'm there to the the unends yeah for sure um i still have i'm gonna watch um red rocket uh story of my wife uh memoria um the new uh bellocchio film marks can wait which is just such a lovely title and then this omnibus film, which like, oh my God, like they make those still um, called Year of the Everlasting Storm, which like has just like a like just a real like smorgasbord of like people on board with it. Like Jaffer Panafi has an episode. Laura Poitras has an episode. Uh, the great 
Chilean director Domingo Sotomayor has an episode. David Lowry has an episode. And Apichatpong has an episode. So, and I don't think it's really been that advertised. It like really, mm-hmm. like, so it's a very low key thing. But like, yes, Apichatpong has two films that are presenting here, folks. So <laughs> if you can, if you can make time for it. I mean, so many of so many of the best movies like of artists and directors are like those like short sketches that he did for like you know omnibus movies like jean rouche's like um gare du nord from like six in paris i think is the best jean rouche film like easily like above and beyond the, the fucking you know the ethnography and all that like i think just that he took that lens onto onto the parisian people and then he came up with something completely shocking and disturbing that like shocks me and disturbs me more than what he kind of does with um you know the africans so no you're you're absolutely right i i would say yeah don't sleep on the everlasting storm we'll finish up there um and carlos i hope we are on the podcast again soon uh, and uh, perhaps even saying hello in person god god forbid for sure <laughs> yes happy festival thank you all right you've been listening to the last thing i saw with your host nicholas Rapold. If you like what you heard, please consider signing up at repold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music from their song, Montserrat. Thank you for listening.